Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, friends. Nice to have you back with us again. We're studying the book of Revelation, and it's a very special book for a very special people. Not everyone can catch it. It's a prophetic book. And its very first verses talk about the prophecies of this book and a blessing from reading and a blessing from hearing. It's a very special book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and his ongoing works after he had finished his work at Calvary and ascended up on high after the day of Pentecost. Jesus, who is the living word, who is the Logos, still wasn't finished. We find that he's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So let me read some of those to you out of uh, chapter 1, and then we'll continue on our study. We're talking about the overcomers, the promises to the overcomers, and what is it to be an overcomer based on the book of Revelation. So we're reading now in, in Revelations chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. And so God now has sent a revelation, and we found in our studies that this book now is a prophetic book, and so God has sent an angel to John, and the angel is a prophet. We find that by just studying the book of Revelation. John tried to bow down and worship this angel, and he says, you know, don't do that. I'm one of the prophets. So it was a messenger that God had sent a prophet, and the Bible calls him an angel. Keep in mind, an angel merely means a messenger. And so then now the scripture says in verse 4, John, Revelations 1, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, so I'm reminding you now that this is a revelation. This part is given to the seven churches of Asia, Gentile churches. And so this has to do then, uh, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, this has to do primarily then with the revelation of Jesus Christ, what he's doing among the Gentiles before he turns back to Israel again. He will do that. But he finishes the work of grace with us Gentiles. Grace is finished to the Gentiles he turns back to the Jews. You can read about that in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. So the seven churches of Asia. <clears throat> and then, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me the voice of a great trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, often when the evangelist picks up on those verses, they know it's Jesus speaking of himself. So they say, praise God, he's Alpha and Omega and everything in between. Well, in a sense, yes. But Alpha and Omega is, of course, the A and the Z, or Z if you're British English. To, he's the A, the beginning, and the ending. I, in other places, he said, I am the first and the last. And the reason we find that is, is that it sets the principle of the way God begins it is the way he ends it. And that that's principle is true because God's word is typed as a seed. And if we were to put wheat seed, corn seed, into the ground, it goes through a cycle, but the cycle isn't finished until it comes back to seed again. So Jesus said of himself, except a seed go into the ground and die, it abides alone. So the whole seed word of God was in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Unless he died, the seed couldn't bring forth a crop. So therefore his uh, burial was the planting of the seed of the word. 
And then now we're all the way over in time at harvest time where the seed is reproducing itself again. And to manifest what age we're in, Luke 17, 30, as in the days of Lot, so will it be in the days of the revealing of the Son of Man, that ministry has already come to earth and the very works of Jesus of Nazareth have been manifested again in a prophet of this day, revealing not the coming of the Son of Man, not the coming of Jesus, but the revealing that the life has returned back to seed again. And this, of course, types with Leviticus 26, where this, that ministry was the wave sheaf offering, which is the first part of the field of crop to reach maturity, waved before the Lord to thank God that the process that brought that part of the field to maturity will bring the entire crop to maturity. So the wave sheaf, the ministry through William Branham, revealing the very life and ministry of uh, the Son of Man has been waved over the earth again. We can give you much more information on that, just write if you're, write if you're interested. And we, but little by little, we're trying to unveil that to you in these half-hour broadcasts. It's very slow because a half hour isn't long to talk about something that is so big and so great as preparing a people for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So John now with his message to the seven church ages, and then in our, in our book of Revelations chapter one again, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, jumping to verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. That's always the word of God, Hebrews 4.12. And his countenance was as the sun. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his hand upon me, uh, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of death and hell. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. We're part of that hereafter group. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, seven stars, right hand, seed of Abraham. God told Abraham, look into the heavens and see all the stars, so shall thy seed be. Seven of those seeds, seven elect of God, are held in the hand of Jesus for a special purpose. Seven stars are the angel of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So both are represented as illuminaries. Candles are luminaries and stars are luminaries in a night cycle. And so the presence of Christ is not here on the earth. He's the light of the earth. The church then becomes the light of the earth as we know in our natural spiritual comparisons in the daytime, the great sun in the sky is the light of the earth. In the absence of the sun is our night cycle, but the light to the earth is stars and the moon. And the moon types the church. The moon has no light of its own. It only reflects the light of the absent sun, S-U-N, sun. And so the sun over here shining past the earth onto the dark side of the earth hits the moon and reflects light back in the darkness. And that's the age we're in. <clears throat> so the, the, the moon typing the church, and we notice that the moon goes through cycles, very bright, very dim, 
the church has gone through cycles, very bright, very dim. And so now we're watching those cycles and then the believers in each age have to follow the cycle of what God is doing in that age. It's like following the leadership of the Holy Ghost. It's like Israel following the pillar of fire. There is a following that must be done. Israel, when the, when the Messiah came to them, they wanted to point back and say, we are followers of Moses. That was the light that was, but now the word had come in flesh and there was the Messiah, Jesus. They failed to recognize the word for their day, yet claiming the word of a previous day. And that's our error of, of if I may be so bold, that's our error of denomination because they find themselves, excuse me, found themselves around a truth that was the leading truth of a previous age, but God comes on revealing more and more and more, and they fail to move with the light because their system didn't include that when they organized. Lutherans, justification, Wesleyans, justification and sanctification, then Pentecostals, justification, sanctification, and the restoration of the gifts, and the moving goes on. It didn't stop at Pentecost. Now there's a full restoration of the word that has taken place in this day, opening of the seven seals, revealing of the Son of Man. The voice of the seventh angel has declared the mystery of God, Revelations 10:7. These scriptures, friends, are not, are not uh, future. They're history already but it's all recent fulfillment. So it's a new movement. It's a new thing. Many are fighting it. Many are opposing it. Many are saying it's not God because it doesn't match tradition. But by the traditions of man, Jesus said, you make the word of God of none effect to the people. So it was traditions through traditions and believing traditions that they missed the Christ, crucified the Christ. And so man has not changed. Church systems have not changed. So the same thing is repeating today. God has come again to fulfill his word, not God coming to earth. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God has come in the fulfillment of his word and in fulfilling his word, the church systems that find that his fulfillment doesn't match what they thought would be the way it would come, they're fighting it. But God has interpreted his word by bringing it to pass. And that's the way he does in every age. And we found then that the overcomers are those who can rise above the traditions of man, above the reasonings of man, see what God is doing in each age and move with that. Now remember when I, uh, at the early part of the program, I mentioned to you that as seed goes into the ground, we plant wheat. Where, where I live, it's wheat country. And so we put a single seed into the ground, it goes through a process, and then the seed is multiplied many times in that head. And so if you were to uh, watch the growth of, of wheat and watch the way that it, that it moves from beginning to end, the, uh, in one sense, the farmer's not really too interested in the process. He wants to plant seed and he wants to, it to grow and reproduce itself, then it's harvest time. But the church has the same thing. Remember, Jesus is Alpha and Omega. We see him in great measure in the beginning. We see him in great measure in the end. And in, the, in between there are the seven church ages, which are the process of bringing the seed to maturity again, ready for harvest. And harvest, as we would normally say, that's rapture. Harvest, that's the gathering of God's crop that he's, that he's planted in the earth and has reaped out of all, 
all the seven church ages. And so we have a translation or rapture or meeting the Lord in the air. So this church ages that, are, that we're almost at the end of now, virtually at the end of now, is the process that has been going through. So we know that in watching a wheat plant, it goes through this cycle and that it doesn't always remain just two little leaves in the ground, nor a stalk, nor just a shuck with no grain in it, but rather everything has to go until it's finally complete. But now here comes the part that's shocking. In the growth of the wheat plant, as long as the cycle is green, something is still going on and we cannot harvest it yet. But we're in harvest time, spiritually speaking. And right now where I live, the wheat is not quite harvestable yet, but I've been watching it each day as I drive through the fields. And now starting at the ground, the wheat plant is beginning to turn yellow, kind of a yellow gold. What does that mean? It means from the roots, it's dying. Why? Because all the life in the cycle of the plant now has been transferred from the seed in the ground through the cycle of the stalk and the shuck and the husk and all the way up. Now all the life is in the grain. And so little by little from the roots, the whole stalk now is drying up. Why? Because it served its purpose. Where is the life if it's not in the stalk? It's all drawing into the grain for harvest. And that's what's happened. God has used church systems to be carriers of the life through the ages. But they are not the life. They were only carriers of the life. Just like the Virgin Mary, when the angel brought the word to her and she said, be it unto me according to thy word. She was not the word, but she carried the word and then produced the word out of the promise. And so now the church is to produce Christ in the form of the bride, and then it's harvest time. Because you know that Romans 8 promises us we shall be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's harvest time. So we're in that season, friends, when God is bringing a people to harvest maturity. So we're in, at the end of the cycle. And so consequently, all those that have come through seminaries and schools that taught them about the moving of God maybe in the days of John Wesley or in the days of Martin Luther or, or maybe even in the early days of Pentecost in the early 1900s and on through. And they talk about what glorious and marvelous things had happened among the Nazarenes or among this group. Or among, that's true. All those wonderful things happened. God was right there moving with them. But he's, he, God has kept moving the problem is the churches didn't move with him. So in each age, it's God calling out a people to move with the light. I've mentioned this to you before. I'll mention it to you one more time. We are in a third exodus. Right now, we're in a third exodus. The first exodus, God called a nation out of a nation when he called Israel out of Egypt. The second exodus was at the time of Jesus Christ when he called a church out of a church, when he called the Christian church out of the Jewish church. Now this is the third exodus where he's calling a bride out of the church. Now let's back up again. When God was going to call a nation out of a nation, 
and call Israel out of Egypt, God said, I have come down to deliver my people. Then he said, Moses, I'm sending you. So how did God come down to deliver Israel? Through a prophet. When the, when the great second exodus came and he called a church out of a church, the Christian church out of the Jewish church, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, drawing a people out of the, what was the system that he was using, the Jewish system, and then now drawing them into Christ, the new system, the Christian era. So again, God came down. And so in this age also, we've had a manifestation of God on earth, again, through a prophet to bring a message to call a bride out of the church. That's Revelations 18.4. Come out of her, my people, and be not a partaker of her plagues. So consequently, God is calling. Someone, friends, has to fulfill Revelations 18.4. That scripture, it must be fulfilled. Some messenger has to say it. And I'm here to tell you, it's already happened. And so then now moving through the ages when God has done these things, God sent an angel to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia. And then that's where we got in our overcomers was up to the Philadelphian age. So let's review quickly now our overcomers. So in the, in the first age to the Ephesus age, it says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We found that the tree of life was Christ himself. So those who overcome can feed on the word of Christ himself. And then in the next, the uh, Smyrna, Smyrna church age, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. That second death, of course, is death of the soul when, when God does his dispersion after the great white throne judgment. And then to the Pergamus church age, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. We talked about that last time, that hidden manna, that was the manna that was kept into the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant, and that didn't go old. The other manna outside got old, and that types our denomination, excuse me, that types our ages, church ages, that God sends a word, a manna to an age, but when the next day comes, it's a fresh manna again. And so therefore, what, what God fed the church in one age, though it was still manna in the next age, but there was a new, new form, new addition coming out in the next age. We're not saying that God's word becomes obsolete. We're only saying that something fresh comes each day, that God takes a portion of the Bible and lives it out to each age. And then we move with that. And then in the Thyatira church age, to him that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, him will I give power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and so on. So that of course, ties right over to uh, Revelations chapter 20, <clears throat> ruling over the nations. Chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast nor his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So therefore, there is a group that will go in a rapture, in, in our age, go in a rapture, rule and reign with Christ. The dead in Christ that were united to Christ back through the ages 
will resurrect first. We will be together with them and then meet the Lord in the air to rule and reign with Christ. The rest of the dead, those who are not in Christ, will remain in the grave through the thousand year millennium and then moves then on into, after the millennium, then there's a white throne judgment and then we move into eternity. And here, because this says they didn't receive the mark of the beast, people want to put that as future. Oh yeah, well then this is the people that will go through the tribulation, they say, and they'll reign with Christ. No, that's a misunderstanding. The mark of the beast has been in every age. There's only two, two things that God symbolizes in Scripture, and that's the seal of God, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the mark of the beast, which is, which is to, to latch on to something antichrist. And uh, the, we can go into that in more detail. But it's been in every age. We saw it in the Ephesian church age. You have among you those that have the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those that, which you hate and I hate. And then we have those who joined with the deeds. They took the mark. And those who hated it, were those group that was standing, standing with the seal of God, the Holy Spirit in that age. So every age has had this, this antichrist spirit, which we've talked about in the seals on a previous, previous message. So now we're up to the Sardis, Sardis church age. This is now the, in, in, in comparing ages to history. This is the beginning of the Reformation. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will blot out his name, not blot out his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And as we went last time, because we came up through this place here, we found that in each age, those who stayed with the word were those who overcame. It isn't overcoming the flesh. Uh, you will overcome the flesh, but that's not overcoming in this sense. The overcoming is to stand against the false doctrines and false Christs that rise up, rise up in our midst. And then in the Philadelphia church age, which was the former age to where we are, the Laodicean church age, the Philadelphia church age, age of brotherly kindness, was the greatest missionary age the world has ever known. It, was the, it, it began with the John Wesley and his, the Methodist movement, sanctification movement, and was the greatest missionary age the world has ever known. And we'll, it says, I have placed before you an open door and that open door, of course, was the missionary work that they did all over the world. There's never been an age in, in all the church ages of missionary work like was done in that age. And then to those overcomers, to him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Catch, catch it now, a pillar in the temple of my God. There's many things we could go into, but just to make it simple, a pillar, though attached at the top, actually rests on the foundation. So therefore, the pillar will be attached to the foundation. He's going to be taken back to the Word as the apostles preached it, who, who were the foundation layers for the whole, whole church. Make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, which if you go to Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14, and 15, you'll find that the name of God is, is Jesus and upon him the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, which we find in Revelations that he says, come see the, I'll show you the bride. And he saw a new city coming down. And of course, a bride takes the husband's name. The husband's name is Jesus. So the bride's name is Jesus. So we've got again a correlation here that everything that, that ties to the, what the overcomer is going to receive, 
baptized to the name of Jesus. And I will write upon him my new name. This one you may have a hard time understanding, but I'll explain it to you anyway. The word of God is the Logos of God. And the word Logos means the word with the thought in it or the thought behind it, which God had. So if I say Father and I have a Bible understanding of what Father is, I've got Logos. If I say Father, but I give it another meaning which doesn't match what God meant when he said Father, then it's not Logos anymore or Son, or Holy Ghost. So God has a meaning that he places behind these words, and that's, that's the Logos of God. In the same way that if I talk about Jesus, he's the living word, he's the living word in every age. So if I talk about Jesus, but the only Jesus I know is the Jesus of history, the Jesus of history, but I don't know what God is doing today, then I've missed Jesus. Catch that now. And then, if I catch what God is fulfilling in Scripture today, what Scriptures are being lived out today, and I'm moving with the present day Word, then I have found the new name of God, which is Jesus, in the present age, because that's Logos. That may be a little tough for you to understand. I hope you can catch that. So if I take the name Jesus and my only understanding is the historical Jesus, although that's part of it, then I've missed the, the Jesus that the Bible scripts up. I gotta find his new name, which is what is he doing today? That's Logos and that's where life is. And then to the last age where we are, to him that overcometh, that's the Revelations 3.21, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame it and sat down with my Father in his throne. So we're back now to the promise of ruling and reigning with Christ. But what did we have to come overcome? The lukewarmness of Laodicea that was so despiteful in God's eyes that he says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. What is out of his mouth? Is to be taken away from where the source of the word is. And saints, that's not what we want. We want to be where the fountain of God's fresh word is flowing out. The scripture says where the eagles are gathered, excuse me, where the kill, fresh kill of the word is, the eagles will gather there. We want to be in that place. See you next week. For a DVD of today's program entitled The Overcomers, write to Global Answers, 1695 Stewart Road, Lima, Ohio, zip code 45801 here in the USA. Or visit our website at globalanswers.us. May our Lord Jesus Christ, richly